Let me transition here and direct your attention to the back of your handout. What we have been doing this semester thus far is we've been talking about relationships. Specifically, what does the Bible have to say about how we do relationships? Dating, marriage, singleness, sex. Um, and I realize that not everybody here really cares about what the Bible has to say about that, and that's fine. Our assumption here is that the Bible may have something for us, that it may hold out some wisdom for us as we think about relationships. And so tonight we're going to talk about a topic that may feel a little counterintuitive as far as how it relates to relationships, but, but tonight we're going to talk about worship, briefly. So with that in mind, let me draw your attention to this passage from John chapter 4. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'll read it and then make a few remarks. It says this, Now he, that's Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, or Sychar, I don't know how to pronounce it, Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you said is just quite true. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must believe, where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. This is God's word for us tonight. If you would, let me pray, and then we'll consider it together. So let's pray. Father, would you be so kind that in these next few moments... Um, would you harness our uh, attention, relieve us from the distraction of being outside and cars going by and people walking by and <laughs> microphones that aren't working and 
all the distractions that could take place tonight, would you focus us and teach us and soften our hearts and open up our eyes so that we would be able to see and to behold which is good and that which is true and beautiful. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a true story, but a friend of mine in Florida, um, one of his friends sleeps with her boa constrictor snake. She has a massive snake that she's fond of, that she loves, and so in a very weird, creepy way, sleeps next to it. So she, she devotes half of her bed to herself and then half of her bed for this massive snake. Safe, nice, lovely pet that she has. Well, the snake, um, after a, you know, a, a while of doing this, uh, started to get sick or something, and she, it, the snake would stop eating. You know, it, she would put it in its cage when she'd go to work, and probably just put a rat or some mouse in there or something. It would not eat the, the mouse, and so it had not eaten anything for about three weeks. And so she took it to the vet, knowing, okay, something is, she's concerned with this, what's the health of this beloved animal. And so the vet, after sort of asking some diagnostic questions and trying to figure out what was going on with the snake and what was potentially going on with its health, and when the doctor realized the sleeping arrangement between the two of them, he said, a snake like this will starve itself in order to make room for a large prey. Meaning it's getting ready um, to enjoy you. And the point is that sometimes the, the things that we love can actually be the most dangerous things to us in our life. That the things that we love are actually the biggest threats to us. And tonight I just read a story about a woman who has destroyed her life, wrecked her life, because of what it is that she has chosen to love. Now let's look at the story real quick. I'll just kind of recap it quickly just for the sake of time. But Jesus begins to interact with this woman because he's by himself chilling by a well. They didn't have water fountains back in the day. They didn't have bottled water. So they would literally go to wells and pull out water. And he's hanging there. His disciples are going into town. And up walks this woman. And he looks at her and he says, hey, you know, like, what's a, what's a brother got to do to get a drink around here? Can you fix me a drink? And she says, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm of a different race. My race and your race historically don't get along. Why are you, why are you talking to me? And he said, okay, by the way, if you knew who was talking to you, you would be the one that's asking me for the drink. She's like, okay, you don't even have a bucket. You're just sitting here by yourself. I'm a li- you're a little confused on that, what this thing's supposed to look like. So they start talking about water. And he basically says, look, I can give you water that, that will quench your thirst forever. You keep coming to this well over and over and over and over and over every single day. And ultimately, it's not really satisfying your thirst, is it? If you have to keep coming here, I can give you something that will satisfy you. And she's like, okay, give me this water. And he says, very weirdly, okay, go get your husband. And she kind of confesses, uh, I don't have a husband right now. And because he knows this woman, he says, yeah, you're actually right. You're sleeping with a man right now who's not your husband. In fact, you've had five husbands before him. He's getting a little too close for comfort. And she's a little um, spooked by how... Uh, awkward and direct he's being, so she tries to deflect the conversation to talk about a worship controversy. There was this 
kind of this religious controversy of the day. Should people worship here or should people worship over here? So she brings this up to be like, let's stop talking about me. Let's talk about this sort of controversial topic of the day. And Jesus kind of takes the bait and starts running with it and talking about worship. And if you think about this whole conversation, this is a weird conversation. If you just look at the flow of it, are they talking about thirst or are they talking about this woman's love life or are they talking about worship? Yes. They're talking about all three. Jesus is talking about all three. And so the first thing that I want you to see tonight is how Jesus redefines worship for us. He redefines worship for us. We think of worship typically as going to church, going to synagogue, going to a mosque, praying, singing, kind of doing something. But what Jesus is going to show us is that worship is not just singing, getting amped up in a big crowd. Worship is what you love. Worship is what your heart is devoted to. Worship is what you are ultimately looking to to satisfy your soul's thirst. And what has this woman looked to to satisfy her thirst? her deepest, the ache of her soul. Frankly, it's men. It's romance. It's relationships. Her life is this sort of just debris of failed romance after failed romance, bad relationship after the other, and she keeps going back. In the same way that she keeps going back to the well over and over and over, and it's not really satisfying her, she keeps going back to men over and over and over, and it's not satisfying her. Now, I think that's pretty interesting because as I've gotten to know UT students, I would say y'all, just like this woman, struggle with worshiping romance. That's probably one of the top things that this campus really looks to, to satisfy your soul, to satisfy your thirst. That if I can be in a relationship, it'll make me whole, it'll make me happy. And it's not just, so don't you see that you can, you can actually worship being in a romantic relationship and have nothing to do with church, have nothing to do with prayer. It's what your heart loves. So think it through. Some of you know, man, this microphone. Some of you know that that's really what you worship because when you're single, that's all you think about. That's all you talk about. And you resent your friends when they're in a relationship and you're not. And it affects uh, what you wear in the morning, how you get dressed in the morning, where you position yourself, who you try to hang out with. You know, when you, when you meet new people, the first thought that comes into your mind is, maybe this is, this is the one. Maybe this is, he was really cute. He remembered my name. This, this may be it. And so you start, you start, you start, you're so driven by, I need this thing so desperately, it controls everything that you do, all that you talk about, all that you wear. And even if you're not in a relationship, some of you are like, dude, I've totally sworn off romance. Girls are the worst, or guys are the worst. I'm not going to want anything to do with this. I'm jaded, cold. I'm distancing myself from that. You too are worshiping relationships. You're, you're just feeling the negative side effects of being controlled by it. You're feeling the inverse realities of it. But let's just say, if, if you're someone that really does worship another person or worship romance, when you get in a relationship... What happens? You immerse your life into the other person's life. You, you find yourself drowning in their life, and they're drowning in you. And so you spend all your time together. Your schedules begin to kind of instantly, weirdly start synchronizing. Everybody gets nauseous around you because you're always with each other. And, and 
cuddling and I love you more. No, I love you more. And so you're, you're, you start saying I love you way too early. Your physical relationship gets way out of control. And once you're starting immersing in your, into this other person, the, the sad reality is that that other person now has the expectation placed on them by you to essentially be God to you. That they need to fill and satisfy everything in your heart that is longing for. The problem is they can't live up to that standard. They can't fill God's shoes. And so that relationship now gets filled with disappointment and frustration. And now what was this an amazing, awesome thing where you love each other now becomes this toxic, messy, World War III every other day sort of thing. And the sad thing is, is once, you're, once a relationship is in this position, where you both need each other, but you hate each other because the other person isn't being what you want them to be, you're essentially like two parasites stuck together, trying to suck from the other person life. But you're so stuck, you're so committed, you can't end the relationship. You can't break up because you need the other person for life. Even though you know it's unhealthy, even though you know it's not going anywhere, even though all of your friends are disapproving of this relationship. You can't end it because you need it. It feels like a lifeline. It feels like if I break up with this person, I lose everything. It's toxic. It's rotting from the inside out. And let's just say that one day you do muster up the courage to end it, or it does, it does blow up eventually. You'll, you'll know that you have been worshiping the other person primarily by how you react to the breakup. Because when, when people that are not worshiping the other person break up, they're sad, they ache, they hurt, but when you've been worshiping the other person or worshiping the relationship, you're not just sad, you are, you're crushed. You can't eat, you can't sleep. It's all you think about, it's all you talk about. You just listen to Adele 24-7. You're just, you're just bathing in the misery of it all. And then some of you get a little weird after the breakups. You start turning to stalkers. You know what I'm talking about? If you're not, if you're not blocked from their Instagram kind of profile, you're always kind of scrolling through to check out where, where, what they are and what they're doing, or you're, you're talking to their roommates to get kind of secret info and just sometimes just randomly show up at their apartment complex, and it's like, why are you here? This is weird. You should not be here. We turn into weird, creepy stalkers, or once the sadness sort of dissipates, it gives way to anger, where you want to blast them, you want to chew them out, you want to call them up and scream at them. While right after the breakup, you, you may have called them and said, nobody will love you like I love you. Nobody will care about you the way that I care about you. I love you so much. How can you do this? Two weeks later, you're screaming at them, telling them that they're the worst. You're dropping you know, F-bombs all over them. And so it is this toxic, horrible thing that has been driven by worship that you look to this person to satisfy a deep thirst in you that was failed from the beginning. I read this article this week about a French man who was arrested recently because of how he reacted to his breakup with his girlfriend. His girlfriend broke up with him, and over the course of the next 10 months, he called or texted her 21,807 times. That's 73 times a day for 10 months. And so he was arrested and put in prison for harassment. 
But you see how we're capable of that. It's like, I, I so want this. I so need this that when I don't get it, my life falls apart and I turn, I, you turn psycho, you turn crazy. So don't you see first how Jesus redefines worship? It's not just going to church. It's not just singing. It's what your heart loves. But just the second, here's the last thing that I want you to see. Jesus doesn't just redefine our worship. He redirects it. He redirects it. If you look at verse 13 and 14, he seems to be offering this woman who is just at the end of her rope, who is just in one bad relationship after the other, he seems to be offering her a solution. If you look at verse 13 and 14, he says this, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He seems to be saying, look, I have a solution. I can provide you with a water that will actually satisfy that deep thirst in your soul. What is it? The solution that he offers at the end of the day, if you look at verse 26, is himself. I'm the one that can make all things right. I am the Messiah. I am the one who has come to make everything right again. I'm the one who has come to fill you. I'm the solution, is what Jesus says. I heard the story a number of years ago about how this, this, I think it's this tribe like in Africa, it's either Africa or Australia, I honestly can't remember, how they hunt. And what they would hunt for, they would hunt for these exotic monkeys. And the, the way that they hunted these monkeys was absolutely fascinating because there were no 22s involved, there was no camo involved, there was no stealth or anything. The way that they hunted these particular monkeys in order to, I guess they would eat them or harvest something. I don't know what they would do with these monkeys once they got them. But the way that they hunted them was they knew that these particular monkeys loved this particular type of fruit seed. And this type of fruit seed was really aromatic and monkeys could smell it from a long distance. And so what they would do is there would be this large sort of embankment, this uh, kind of dirt wall, and they would dig out a, a hole in the wall about arm's length, and once they would kind of create this tunnel, they'd stick their hands in there and put some of those seeds way back in there. And then they would just chill and wait. And monkeys would smell the seeds, and they would come up to the dirt embankment, and they would reach their hand in, grab the seeds, but because they had made a fist in order to grab the seeds, they couldn't get their hand out. It was stuck. They had stuck themselves sort of in the tunnel. And the hunters would walk up with a hammer or something and <laughs> just take the monkey out. Now, if you think about that, if you get inside the mind of the monkey, come with me into the mind of the monkey briefly. The monkey's thinking, okay, here are these seeds. Oh, they're so, they smell amazing. A, I love these things. And so I reach in. I got them. Uh, okay, I can't, I can't get out. But okay, here comes this hunter. He's got something sharp in his hand. There's the fruit. I can let go at any moment. I'm going to let go. Uh, well, I better hold on to it. I'm not. He's getting closer. Here comes the hammer. I, I probably should let go. I can't. I really love these freaking seeds so bad. <laughs> and then it's game over. And that is a picture of what Jesus is trying to show us. That if you set your heart on anything else other than him, that it ultimately leads to death, your own death. And you feel like you're in control. You feel like you can let go anytime you want. 
But what happens time and time again is that your life spirals out in chaos and destruction. So if you worship your performance, if your achievement in life is the thing that you are living for, what's the fallout of that? The fallout is that you're always going to be stressed out and never content. If the thing that you worship in life is your physical appearance, you will always be deeply insecure because there's always someone that's going to look more attractive than you. If you worship pornography, and that is the thing that has really captured your heart's imagination, you will constantly struggle to be intimate with real human beings. And if you worship relationships, other people to fill something in you that they can't, the fallout of that is just going to be one toxic relationship after the other, and it's going to be radically unhealthy. And so what Jesus does here is say, look, I'm the only thing that when you get me, you don't get twisted and corrupted in the process. You actually become more beautiful, more whole. But here's the thing. Here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting is that Jesus begins this whole conversation with with his own thirst. I'm thirsty. Can you get me a drink? Jesus, who is claiming to be the source of all satisfaction, begins this dialogue with his own emptiness. Begins his dialogue with saying, I'm thirsty too. He who left heaven, the glorious place where everyone is satisfied, leaves it all to come down and be thirsty. But in fact, that's not the only place in the Bible where Jesus talks about him being thirsty. If you fast forward in the Gospel of John to the very end, Gospel of John chapter 19, on the cross, what does he do? He says, I'm thirsty. He's crying out for relief. Why? Jesus is becoming empty so that you can become filled. Jesus is being wrung out so that you can have your thirst satisfied. Jesus is drinking in death so that you can be flooded with life. And as you begin to set your heart and your mind and your faith upon his great love for you, that's what begins to actually satisfy your soul. That's what begins to kind of fill you from the inside with his love. So that you don't need people in the same way that you needed them before. You don't need romance to be something that's satisfying you because Jesus is the thing that's satisfying you. But here's the thing, and I'll end with this. If you're dying of thirst, and I put a tall, cold glass of water in front of you, just having it in front of you is not going to satisfy your thirst. Even just believing that that water will satisfy your thirst won't satisfy your thirst. You have to actually grab it and take it in. And so my invitation for you tonight is this. As you're wrestling with and exploring who Jesus might be for you, the claim of the Bible is, look, you've you've got to reach out and take him and bring him in by faith. And when you do, when you set your heart on what he has done for you, that begins to flood your soul from the inside out with relief, with fulfillment with satisfaction with realizing here is someone who's so committed to me no man or no woman could ever satisfy me in the same way so that is my invitation for you tonight let me pray and we'll sing one more song and then we'll eat Father would you by your great mercy meet us in this place and in the heat and in the distracting weirdness of this night will you meet us and yet remind us that you gave it all up on the cross so that we might be filled. You became empty so that we who are empty might become full. 
Would that satisfy us? Would that fill us? Would that, would that encourage us and sustain us this night as we move into the rest of this week? We pray all this in Jesus' name.